1: bottom line there's no law against doing good on any day and the spirit of the sabbath the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath that's what jesus is trying to point out to these guys again and again and again and again but they're not getting it so the surface issue is the perceived violation of the sabbath and the truth is jesus nor his disciples had violated the spirit of the sabbath They had violated the letter of the Sabbath at times, but not the spirit of the Sabbath.
0: In the New Testament, there are several accounts of Jesus doing miracles on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week, or as we know it, Saturday. On this day, it was common to not do any sort of work. Jesus was ridiculed for working wonders on the Sabbath. Jesus reminded those that challenged him that this wasn't what the Sabbath day was meant for. And in today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage you to choose a Sabbath day to rest from work and spend time with the Lord. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter three, as he begins his message, a confrontation with truth.
1: Mark chapter 3 is where we are in our study. The challenge of a new covenant in relation to an old covenant is not hanging on to anything related to the old covenant. That's the challenge. And just as they struggled in the New Testament, and I'm talking about even church leaders, uh, in regard to not hanging on to things connected with the old covenant, so we have Christians today that are hanging on to things related to the old covenant. For example, we have people that believe and, and have a heart for reaching the Jewish community uh, who don't believe in the Messiah and they will celebrate the feast with them and things like that and Hanukkah and all that kind of stuff. And if you're doing that to reach them for Christ, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in any way uh, believing or teaching that those things have any merit before the Lord, then you're believing a false truth. It's not true. Even Messianic congregations, Jewish congregations, um they, they hold on to uh, things related to the old covenant sometimes. And and listen, I'm not trying to split hairs here, but the old covenant and the new covenant, Jesus already made it clear. You don't mix the two, all right? The old covenant's the old covenant, new covenant's new covenant, all right? You don't mix them. Uh, early church had a problem with giving up circumcision. They said, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you still got to be circumcised. They had a hard time giving up the kosher diet. All right? They had a hard time giving up uh, even believing that doing the feast and the kosher diet and stuff actually brings more merit for us before the Lord. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That's what you have to come to it. The, the truth of the scriptures, not because I say it. You have to see it. And I had several scriptures and went over last night, and then I cut into the scriptures today too much and, and was rushed, and I don't want to do that now. But Hebrews, we talked about last week, was written to show that the Old Covenant is superseded by the New Covenant, and the New Covenant is so much better than the Old Covenant, all right? Galatians was written because some false teachers had come into the church and had had persuaded the church and Christians to go back to principles under the Old Covenant, and that's why the whole letter of Galatians is written, and it opens in chapter 2, part of the opening, where Paul confronts Peter. Now, I don't want to get into it, but I want to just say this, and then we'll move on to Mark chapter 3. Verse 11 of chapter 2, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul says, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. They were the ones saying, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you still got to be circumcised. We're talking about believers in Jesus here. And Peter gets caught up in hypocrisy and not representing the gospel. And the other Jews, verse 13, joined him in his hypocrisy. by, By their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So verse 14 is the key one. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Good question. Peter himself, Acts 10, sheet let down from heaven, get up, Peter, kill and eat. All kinds of unclean animals. No way, Lord, I've been kosher all my life. God's trying to teach him a very practical lesson. The kosher diet is not applicable anymore. He's later after that, right after that, sent to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius, a Roman uncircumcised Roman centurion, house full of uncircumcised Romans. Peter shares the gospel. Circumcised believers come with Peter. They are shocked that the Holy Spirit falls on these uncircumcised guys like he did on the Jewish guys on the day of Pentecost. And so it was hard for them to let go of some of that stuff. And they had to come to realize we're saved and justified by grace through faith, then Jesus Christ alone, and nothing else bears merit. Nothing. That's why Colossians says, Paul said, don't let anybody judge you by a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Why? These are a shadow. We talked about it last weekend of things to come. So I just want to make sure you got that. And there's some that are sincere and evidently part of our fellowship, but they're trying to reach a Jewish community. But if I understood correctly, there are some that are still saying we got to hang on to some of those things. And if you don't celebrate the feast or practice some of those Jewish customs, because we're grafted into Israel, you're missing it. No, I'm not. Read your Bible. If you want to celebrate them, fine. If you want to study them, great, because they, they speak of the reality that we have in Christ. But no celebration in terms of anything connected with the old covenant bears merit before God. Doesn't bring you any closer to the Lord. Now I said it. Mark chapter three, verse one. Another time he went into the synagogue. Jesus and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They're watching him. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand." something you could not have done before. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Don't miss verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. For healing the got? More to it than that. We'll get into it. There are three points. It's going to sound like a Baptist outline. I got Baptist blood into me. Sometimes I can't help it. The first is the context. What is the context of what I just read? The context is we have seen previous, ample, clear, verifiable testimony to the truth that Jesus both represents and communicates, as opposed to the falsehood represented and taught by the Pharisees and teachers of the law. That's the context. We've seen that. It's been repeated. Uh, Jesus is not a bully looking for a brawl, he is simply the human embodiment of all truth. And whenever truth is uh, confronted with falsehood, unless one or the other backs down, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a confrontation, and that's what's happening here. The surface issue is the perceived violation of the Sabbath. Sabbath. These Jewish leaders have a legalistic view of what it meant to violate the Sabbath. The Pharisees' brand of religion was one of religious rules, regulations, and religious traditions, and they had added so much religious tradition to the law that they lost sight of the heart of the law altogether. Matthew, once again, adds something that Mark doesn't mention, and I think it's worthwhile to at least look at Matthew chapter 12, two verses here, verse 11 of Matthew 12, Same situation, the healing of the guy in the synagogue that had the shriveled hand. And he says to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, they they did that, but they're not answering him. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And this happened repeatedly. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He's being carefully watched. They're watching him, especially because it's Sabbath. They're going to see, is he going to heal somebody else? Well, there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. This is happening time and time again. He's trying to straighten out their crooked thinking. They had nothing to say again. If any of you, he adds here, verse 5, if any of you has a son, now he adds a son. Any of you got a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? Well, they would, and they did. Happens again. John chapter 5, and he really gets them mad in John chapter 5. I mean, he really gets them mad. John chapter 5, um, verse 1 Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now, there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, the Pool of Bethesda. There's a guy who's been an invalid there for 38 years. He heals him on the Sabbath. And they find a guy that's carrying his mat now. He's been healed. And they say to him, middle of verse uh, 9, so the Jews, or verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I mean, you you can't see the forest for the trees. Come on. And then he really blows their mind. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And then he said to them, my father's always at work to this very day, and I too am working. (gasps) What kind of work? Doing good. Here's the bottom line. There's no law against doing good on any day. And the spirit of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is trying to point out to these guys again and again and again and again. But they're not getting it. So the surface issue is the perceived violation of the Sabbath. And the truth is Jesus nor his disciples had violated the spirit of the Sabbath. They had violated the letter of the Sabbath at times, but not the spirit of the Sabbath. That's why Jesus said, even David is innocent when he ate the consecrated bread, lawful only for the priest. That was Mark chapter two. Remember that? So when you have a violation of the letter of the law, what do you have there? And God pouring out grace, you have what we've seen, a revelation in the old covenant and glimpses of a new covenant that's based not on law, but on grace. So that's the context. The perception that they violated the Sabbath and Jesus did it again by healing the guy with the shriveled hand on the Sabbath. But there is something deeper going on. And as a Christian, I hope you'll appreciate it. And if you listen, you will. And that is their underlying attitude toward Jesus. They already have disdain for him. And now that disdain has grown to hatred. And the Pharisees now get together after he heals this guy uh, of this withered hand. He heals the guy in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Heals him at a church service, basically, on the Sabbath. And they go out and they plot with the Herodians how to kill him. They hate him. They want him to die. And both Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69 verse 4 which Jesus refers to in John chapter 15 verse 25 and here's what both those psalms prophesy about Messiah here's what it says they hated me without reason without reason he's done nothing wrong he's only doing good and now they're plotting to kill him (laughs) they are plotting to kill him first is the context let's go to point two The the second is the collaboration to kill Jesus. (laughs) The Pharisees get with the Herodians. Let me just tell you what that's like. That's like the Republicans getting with the Democrats. No, really, that's what it's like. The Herodians were influential political supporters of Herod. The Pharisees were anti-Herod. The point is the Pharisees and the Herodians had absolutely nothing in common except this. Their disdain and now their hatred of Jesus. Listen to this. The world will get together against Jesus and the church and you and me if you know Christ for no other reason but that we are identified with Jesus Christ. And their reasoning, their reasoning, they don't really have good reasoning. They just have disdain for who we are and who we're identified with. And don't be surprised when that happens. It's the spirit of the world. Also called the spirit of Antichrist. And the religious world will do this as well. It's interesting, one of the definitions of collaboration, here it is, traitorous cooperation with an enemy. Very interesting. Same thing happened between Caiaphas, the high priest of the day, and Pilate, the Roman governor. They're in cahoots together. What? To put Jesus to death. Pilate, of course, tried to get out of it, but then he succumbed to the pressure of the crowd. It was the same with Herod and Pilate, two Roman rulers. How do I know that? Look at this verse. That day, what day? When they were shoving Jesus, shifting him back and forth from Herod to Pilate, he's on trial. And that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. What brought them together? Jesus And the opposition of the crowd against Jesus. Very interesting, huh? They hated me without reason. And they'll hate you without reason. Simply because you're a Christian. They don't need anything else. You hear that? And now let's get to point number three. The context, the collaboration, and now the confrontation. By the way, going backwards just for a moment, Revelation 11 prophesies in what's known as the Great Tribulation, which is, I think, not far down the road. Two of God's choice servants in that seven-year period will be killed in Jerusalem. You know the response of the world? It says they will gaze on their dead bodies for three days. All the major networks will be covering it. Everybody will have their TVs on and glued to the set. And the world will rejoice when these two choice servants of God are dead because they represent truth, righteousness, and the message of the gospel. And when they're dead, the world rejoices. And guess what they do? You read it in Revelation 11, the world sends gifts to one another. I call it the 1st Antichristmas because it's when the Antichrist is ruling They send gifts to one another. They're so happy. These guys are dead. Back to point three, the confrontation. Jesus initiates the climax of the confrontation when he heals the guy. Proving a point, again, the falsehood of what the Pharisees and teachers of the law preach and represent and the truth of what he is presenting himself. It is truth against falsehood. It is, if you will, good against evil, evil against good. And unless one or the other backs down, there will always be a fight. And I want to dissect the confrontation. First of all, by pointing out that Jesus got angry. And there is an anger that is not sin. I'm not going to suggest how often we practice it, but there is an anger that is not sin. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty 29, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. It's exactly the way I felt when I told you recently about a fellow that was part of our fellowship for a period of time after he got out of prison, played on the Super Bowl champion Bucks team, gifted football player, moved back to Orlando after getting out of prison, after he became part of our fellowship and really got on fire for the Lord. And now he's fallen to some awful heretical teaching. And nothing I could say, and at this point, nothing I could pray at this point has turned him around. he He just bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And I am still mad. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn, Paul says. There is a righteous indignation. There's a righteous anger. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires, but righteous indignation. Let me tell you one of the ways you know if it's righteous anger. The text says that Jesus was angry, but it also says, and I'll read it again. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. The word in the Greek is also translated and literally means he was deeply grieved. Deeply grieved. And if you're just angry and there's not a foundation of love that causes you to anguish inside and grieve inside, then it's not really the anger of God. Because God is angry at sin and God is angry at hell. And God is angry when people follow the wrong crowd and the wrong path and go the wrong way. He's angry, but he's also deeply grieved. And Jesus is grieved. Deep distress. And then the third point in dissecting the confrontation, Jesus is not willing to back down. He's not a bully looking for a brawl, but he is the embodiment of truth and truth in a human body. He will not back down. Why? Because of what's at stake. What is at stake here? I can talk about all kinds of things. There's the honor of God at stake, the honor of the father. I must obey the father. Jesus does. Some of his disciples threatened by the Supreme Court of their day. And they said, you judge whether it's right for us to obey you or God. And he's going to do what the Father's telling him to do and say what the Father's telling him to do and do, they do the healing. The Father led him to do that. And there's a confrontation because of now truth in a human body. And so there's honoring the Father and obeying the Father. And then there's the proclama- proclamation of truth. There's also the demonstration of love and just a little side nugget. It's not the message, but it's, but it's a little nugget. If you're not spanking your children and they're young enough to spank them, you're not really loving them. And you're not believing the Bible. Time out is one of the worst things invented by the world I know of. What a cruel thing to take time out. I just, don't get me off on that. It's not the message. But whoever spares the rod hates their children. That's what the Bible says. That's not an emotional hatred. You say, no, I love them. You emotionally love them. But practically speaking, you don't because you're not doing what the Bible tells you to do. And you don't spank them in anger, and you don't spank them out of control, you know. And I'm not looking to be politically correct. I'm looking to I'm looking to live this book out. And I hope you are. And I see so many people in the church, parents, who sit and and across my desk sometimes, and I'd take them to the proverbs about the spanking, and they say, "We don't believe in spanking." Well, you don't believe in your Bible then. And that's all I have to say about that <laughs> today. What is at stake here? I'll tell you what's at stake here. And let me tell you by telling you what is is at stake here, what's not at stake here, and why Jesus will not back down. What is not at stake here is whether a Christian can dance or not. Are you for or against? Stand up, show us. Can you or can't you? Because our policy is some in Calvary Chapel can and some can't. I mentioned it last service. One of my friends a long time said, you know, I love going to weddings where they dance because that's the only time I get to dance as a Christian. You can dance in church. You can. And if you didn't know you can, you can. As long as you're doing it unto the Lord. Now, if you just want to go clubbing, that's a different thing. But if you want to dance unto the Lord, you can do it. But we're not talking about we're not talking about whether a Christian can have an alcoholic beverage or not. And the truth is, just like our policy on dancing, the policy of the scripture is for one person it's wrong, for one person it's okay.
0: Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with His sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also, under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.